so happy to talk to Mike Petrelli today, who's president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, also a fellow at the Hoover Institute at Stanford. And the reason is because I read an op-ed that you wrote recently in the New York Times. And when I read it, my reaction was mostly just thank you. Like, I feel like either I'm just a purveyor of doom and I just don't always want to point out the bad things or or I just have a more negative viewpoint than other folks do. But uh, your op-ed basically was about the fact that our kids are in real trouble right now, right? And it's not getting the attention. I think you said it's eerily quiet, the attention that this um, that this problem is getting. So just like if you could just sort of set the stage here for what's going on with this generation of kids, especially young kids right now, and why things are really not just back to normal. We can forget about COVID. Of course. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you, Susan, for having me on the show. I am a big fan of what you all do. And I should say, I I grew up in Chesterfield, Missouri, so uh, my heart is still in Missouri uh, from way back when. So yeah, look, uh, you know, things are bleak out there. And if people aren't aware of just how bad they are, it's because I don't think our political leaders are talking about it very much. You know, I, I haven't I heard of the president give a big speech talking about learning loss and the challenges they're in. Now, maybe he's not giving a whole lot of big speeches on on many things these days anyway. But, uh, you know, and and even the sector of education, I mean, he, he puts out some press releases sometimes talking about what the Department of Education is trying to do to address uh, the student achievement woes and mental health challenges we've got, but but it's it's not landing. It doesn't seem to be the big issue that it should be. This should be dominating our national conversation right now. You know, we're talking about our young people, our uh, the, the whole generation of kids here who are at risk of being written off uh, because of what they went through during the pandemic, and it feels like we all just want to turn the page. Yeah. And, and look, Susan, I mean, some of this is natural. You know, I'm a parent, I'm a dad, I've got two boys. Uh, you know, I watch them and I'm concerned about how they're doing after the pandemic. And I think they seem to be doing okay, you know? And I think most moms and dads, you know, are probably watching their kids and thinking, well, they, they seem to be doing okay. And, and you know, maybe we don't want to, uh, you know, we want to focus on what's in our control. We can't go back and roll back the tape three years ago. We can't undo the school closures. We can't make different decisions than we did um, back then. Uh, And, you know, we want to try to make the best of it. Uh, But we've got to face facts. And the fact is that in general, on average, our kids know a lot less right now than they otherwise would have if they had not gone through that pandemic and gone through the school shutdowns. And that matters. You know, it matters because we know that the more kids learn in school, the better they do once they are adults. I mean, thank goodness, right? Those of us that work in education, guess what? Right. Learning matters. Schools matter. Uh, and not having learned essential knowledge and skills uh, is going to translate into uh, you know less opportunity, into lower wages, fewer kids graduating from high school or college. And of course, Susan, like everything in our country, it is hitting our lowest performing kids, our lowest income kids, Black and Hispanic and Native kids the hardest. Uh, and we should be talking about it and we should be asking ourselves, are we doing enough uh, to do right by this generation? Yeah, uh, I've said this before, but in the 1918 pandemic, Spanish flu, I guess it was, that generation never caught up. They never caught up in terms of educational attainment, median earnings. And that has been my concern. And in Missouri, 
the like the number that really bothers me that came out from our last year test scores, 2023, mm-hmm. is third graders, third graders reading. Now, these kids would have been in kindergarten in 1920 when the schools mm-hmm. closed. 2020. Grade, what's that? 2020. Yeah. Yes. 2019, 2020. Yeah. I don't know. I just think in, in school years, yes, 2019, 2020, they would have been in kindergarten. And then first grade. Schools kind of didn't really reopen too much. Some of them did. And then second grade and third grade in Missouri, the reading scores for our third graders were the worst of the group. They have not recovered pre-pandemic and almost 40 percent scored below basic. And Mm. these kids meet. That means that they don't have partial understanding. Mm -hmm. That's four out of 10 Missouri third graders that are moving on to fourth grade when they really need to learn to need, need to be readers so they can read their uh books and their other subjects, like mm-hmm. reading to learn. And we didn't hit the mark in Missouri. I do not hear people talking about it the way I would expect, you know, president Clinton had like an education summit, president Bush had an education summit back mm-hmm. in the no child left behind years that you talk about it. You know, we had, we had governor uh, Bush in Florida. We had um, uh, Lamar Alexander. We had governor standing up and saying, this is the most important issue of our time. And I don't see that. It, around this crisis. No, that's right. And and look, to be clear, it, w- it was bipartisan, right? Yeah. I mean, like you said, Clinton, we had Jim Hunt in North Carolina, we had Dick Riley in South Carolina. I mean, this, this was a movement for many years that said, we're not doing enough for our kids, we can do better, we need to do better. And, and there was broad support for that. And now, you know, we got these crazy politics, everybody's, you know, going far left or far right, fighting yeah. over culture wars, and we're ignoring these kids. And look, I was maybe not hopeful, but I, I wanted to be hopeful after the pandemic that said, well, look, you know, as bad as this was, here's hoping that kids will bounce back pretty quickly, right? I mean, they were out of school, but look, they're older than they used to be. They're going to come back, you know, maybe at least that, you know, we we really do what we need to do, provide some tutoring, maybe some extra summer programming, you know, maybe most kids will, will bounce back. Unfortunately, not only are we not seeing most kids bounce back, we're still moving in the wrong direction. I mean, this was the, the study I wrote about, Susan, from- What is the study? Uh, from the study, yeah, this this was from NWEA, which puts out the Measures of Academic Progress Test map. Uh, and they looked at last school year, so that was 2022, 20, 23, and they found that the kids learned less from fall to spring last year than they typically did before the pandemic. So we're not just, we're not bouncing back. We're still digging a hole. The hole's getting bigger. Uh, we're going backwards. And that's really disturbing. And I think, look, you know, we'd say, why is this happening? Well, yeah, we've got why? this chronic, well, I think the chronic absenteeism crisis is the most likely culprit. I mean, kids are not coming back to school. You know, right. it is typical now that the typical urban district has a chronic absenteeism rate of over 50%. That's right. It means that most kids are missing at least a month of school. Well, what do you think is going on there? Because it's also crossing across economic lines. Like, what's going on with that? It like, is. It are is. we not is. making them come back? Or I, it I think it's. An, I think it's a really interesting question. I think it's a number of things. I mean, first of all, uh, I think kids and families got out of the habit going to school. Right. I think uh, just like. Some employers are having a hard time getting employees to come back to work in the office. You know, it's harder now. You know, look, they, and I get it. I mean, families are like, hey, you closed the schools for over a year in some places. Okay. We kind of are now seeing behind the curtain and, and we see the Wizard of Oz, you know, 
And we realize, oh, maybe if you don't value school, then, you know, look, my kid doesn't feel like going or we want to go on a vacation or, you know, whatever it may be, uh, you know, then, then, you know, and then there's some other just concrete problems, right? Transportation problems that we've got this bus driver shortage and kids aren't getting picked up. Maybe there was still some stuff going on last year where parents think that if their kids have, have the sniffles, they're supposed to keep them home. Uh, but this is a problem that that is solvable. I mean, we used to get kids to school. I mean, there were still high chronic absenteeism rates in some places, especially in the poorer areas, uh, but it was 20%. It wasn't 50%. So, you know, let's at least get back to that. And yeah, the message has got to be that you need to come to school. Families, you need to send your kids to school. And yeah, there needs to start being some accountability again. You know, what about all these pauses on accountability at the state level where like, we don't mm-hmm. want to punish schools. We don't want to mm-hmm. punish kids. Mm-hmm. Missouri's had that grade floor. I think it's at 40% where you can't mm-hmm. get below. We don't want people to feel bad because they're going mm-hmm. through so much with this yeah. pandemic and they keep stretching it out in Missouri. They're yep. calling the pandemic now 23, 24, still kind of pandemic. So, and we might, you know, people might start getting COVID again. So what about this? Like, we're afraid to upset anybody. No, we, we got to get over that, Susan. We have yeah. got to get over that. I mean, look, uh, kids need to be in school. That is where they learn. That is where they're healthy. That's where they're safest. That's where oftentimes they get fed. Uh, and so they need to come back. And I think uh, that means holding parents accountable, uh, you know, visiting their home if their kids aren't showing up. And it means holding kids accountable. You know, I think you're right that, you know, there, we've had this big movement in recent years. This isn't even about the pandemic, but about yeah. making it easier to get A's, as you said, we're not going to, you know, nobody can get less than a 50% or, you know, even if you miss a bunch of classes, that doesn't impact your grade. Well, you know, guess what? Especially when you're talking about older kids, high school kids, they're smart. They figure this out. And if they can phone it in, uh, if they can skip class and stay at home and play video games and still get an A or a B, that's what they're going to do. So we've got to look at those kinds of policies and practices. Um, and and to the extent that there is something going on socioeconomically, and, and it is worse in places where a lot of families are still living in poverty, you know, we've got to do whatever we can to get the message and provide the supports, the transportation, and say, get back to school. This is where we need kids to be. Uh, but I mean, first, we have to look at the hard facts. And I feel like this is going back to the point of your whole op-ed. That's not what's happening. I liken it to like getting on the scale or opening your credit card bill. Like at some point, we yeah. have to kind of face where we are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, folks would say, well, it's because we're not uh, spending enough money. What do mm-hmm. you say to that? Well, look, I, you know, I, I almost wish that was the case because that would be easy. I mean, in this yeah. country, we're just spending government money like crazy, right? We just yeah. put it on the credit card. Uh, but now, look, we've increased funding dramatically in this country in recent decades. And we've, we are right now spending an extra $200 billion in federal funds supposed to be going out to schools to help kids catch up. So money is not the issue right now, you know, um, the issue is that we've given up on some of the tough love stuff that we used to do, both to hold schools accountable, to hold uh, educators accountable, to hold kids accountable. I mean, that's the crux of it. Uh, and it was interesting you said about the scale or about credit card bills. You know, wh- what about parents? You say, okay, why aren't parents more alarmed? Well, guess what? You know, we keep sending parents these report cards with glowing grades. Uh, maybe we send them test score reports that don't look very good, but we often then tell them, well, don't worry about those tests. You know, those are just kids are not a test. Don't, you know, and so the message they take is that everything's fine. And, And then when a school district says, hey, we've got this federal money to provide summer school or to provide extra tutoring, yeah, very few parents take it up. 
Well, because they think their kids are doing fine. You know, they're not going to make their kid go to summer school if they think their kids are doing fine. They're not doing fine. We're not leveling with them. And this is where, look, I think educators, schools, uh, including in in the charter sector, you know, in all sectors, we've got to take responsibility here and level with parents and not be afraid to say it's bad. And hey, it's it's not your fault. It's nobody's fault. It was a pandemic. Okay, it happened. All right. But yeah, we're talking about third graders who can't read. That's bad. And we should be willing to talk about dramatic solutions. So for example, you can't read in third grade. Uh, We should have a policy that says you're not going to go on to the fourth grade because you're not ready for it. And we're going to make sure the next year you get intensive interventions, a lot of tutoring. We're going to do things very differently. We're going to get you where you need to be. I would prefer that we start even earlier. And, you know, for this COVID uh, generation, we might want to say, look, Let's add a grade in the early elementary school, make it grade two and a half. And most kids in in some of these schools, maybe all kids that need it, do an extra grade of school because they missed a year of school and we get them where they need to be. You got to fix the problem up front instead of letting it fester because we know we, as you said, if we don't get it done when they're young, uh, they're going to go through the rest of their school career behind. They're going to struggle. They're going to fail. They're going to lack engagement. They're not going to be successful. It is extremely hard to catch kids up as they get older. It is much more effective to do it when they're young. Yeah. So I was always like, not always when the pandemic started and we're getting into that first school year, I was like, oh my gosh, the kindergartners. And a lot of people kept their kids home from kindergartner, mm-hmm. from kindergarten. But like these kindergartners, it's going to be tough. The other group was the ones starting high school mm-hmm. and like eighth to ninth grade back in 2019, 20. And you know what we have seen again in Missouri, I dug, actually I had to calculate the number myself because Missouri puts out a percentage for each school district of the high school graduates that are considered college or career ready, mm-hmm. which means they passed one of five things like passed means like an AP test, ACT, ACT work keys, ASVAB mm-hmm. military test, ACCUPLACER, a series of things that you got what's considered to be a passing score. And they published those for each district, the percentage, and then the number of graduates. So you can just do the math. And turns out that about 60% of our high school graduates last year were considered college or career ready by any measure. Mm-hmm. And the other 40%, good luck, right. Godspeed, you know, we, we move them on. We mm-hmm. know they're not ready for college. We mm-hmm. know it'll be hard for them to have what's considered a career, let alone a job. So, mm-hmm. uh, why do, that's the other group that I'm like, why didn't we like treat this like the crisis that it is? Why didn't we treat it like, you know, a Manhattan project or whatever we needed to do there, mm-hmm. but uh, I I do feel like there's this prevailing uh, thought process in education that's come up to me in the last 10 or 15 years of like, I we don't want anyone to feel bad. Mm-hmm. And we are getting the results uh, that you would expect from that approach. Yeah. And, and guess what? Those young people are going to feel bad when yeah. they, you know, try to get a job and all they can get is a pretty low skill, low wage yeah. job. Or they decide to go back and try college and they're nowhere near ready. I mean, that that's bad, right? So yeah. you know, look, it's 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 back, Susan, to the to the low to the soft bigotry of low expectations. Yeah. You know, I mean, th- we we know this stuff. We know that if if your mindset is don't make people feel bad, lower the bar, you know, we've got a the fair thing to do is not to expect so much. We know what happens. We know that particularly our poorest kids, black, Hispanic, native kids, uh, they don't get the opportunity that they deserve. And then, you know, the equity gaps grow larger. So 
So we, it seems we gotta to have get back. And, and I want to get clear. I mean, it's not just tough love. I mean, yeah, for sure. Schools need help. They need resources. Sometimes they they don't, you know, they need know-how about how to, these are hard problems to address, you know, so we've got to provide that support too, but it, it's not one or the other, you know, and, and some of this tough love stuff I think is, is just long overdue. So what I see also at the same time in several states in the last year, uh, certainly a lot of Missouri's neighbors is governors who are saying like, we'll just let the kids out of the system and Mm -hmm. we'll give them their state funding to go to the school of their choice. Mm -hmm. And um, what do you think about that as a solution? Yeah, look, I'm a fan of parental choice and education. I think, uh, you know, that parents fundamentally have the right to make choices about how their kids get educated. I think we know now from research for decades of research that giving parents choices provides the competitive effects we hoped that it would, you know, both private school choice and charter schools, a huge research literature that is positive for the traditional public schools. Um, So for all those reasons, you know, I think we should support parental choice. Now, is that a solution, especially the the less regulated, you know, give parents a debit card kind of approach that we see with some of these education savings accounts programs? Is that a solution to learning loss and to these other challenges? You know, for some kids, maybe. But I think we also have a lot of experience that when we do it in a way without quality control, you know, that we're going to see a lot of that money get wasted and we're not necessarily going to see kids learning more. You know, I mean, my experience is that uh, you look at the data and charter schools, especially in states that have really focused on having a high bar for entry and, and holding those schools accountable for results, have gotten better results in terms of student learning and student outcomes. Uh, those that haven't didn't. And then in the private school choice world where there's not as much of that quality controlled, some of the results lately have been pretty bad, you know, when it comes to student learning. So I, I don't, you know, I think there's good reasons to support school choice. I don't see it as the primary motivation or the the how it's going to solve this particular problem outside of you know supporting more high quality charter schools you know the the yeah. kips and the success academies and the others that have proven their ability over the years to dramatically raise achievement so you mentioned uh, grade two and a half what would be a couple of other uh, policy solutions that you would throw out there to mm-hmm. address this this problem yeah, I mean, some of it is tried and true, right? Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about the third grade retention policies, yeah. again, which are in place in some states. I think other states need to look at those. So, you know, saying, hey, this is a, a this is the right time to ask if a kid is ready. And if they're not, uh, we need to keep working with them. Uh, so that's one. I think all of the work being done around the science of reading and other efforts to get high quality instructional materials into schools, I think that's also essential. You know, when we talk about how to support teachers, this is one of the best ways is to give them the tools they need to be successful. And in the world of schools, the most important tool, it's not a laptop or a smart board, right? It's the curriculum. Yeah. And giving teachers a really well-designed curriculum that's been written by other teachers and that is, you know, built on research and that's engaging and uh, makes a big difference. And, you know, it's, not easy. You got to adopt the right curriculum and then you got to spend a lot of effort and time uh, helping teachers really master it. But that kind of work, I think, is the kind of thing that's going to make a, a big difference. Uh, and look, I think, uh, you know, everything we've talked about in the recovery, you know, more tutoring, summer programs, you know, longer school uh, years, you know, just getting more instructional time for kids. It all makes sense. It's just, unfortunately, <laughs> it's hard to find too many examples of places that have really done that well. In fact, in Missouri, uh, 
a large number of our districts, I don't want to throw, it's over a hundred, have moved to a four-day school week. I don't really see that being <laughs> answered. No, it's it's not it's wrong, but. exact wrong. I mean, and they will say, well, they're longer days. And so it's well, the yeah. same instructional time. And we're, I don't know, I, I'm it's, skeptical. Yeah. And and the data that we've seen has not been promising on that. And then I, I would add to your list, this is sort of my approach to life though. It's just like, take a hard a realistic look at what's happening. Like, let's be mm -hmm. more transparent mm -hmm. around this. Mm -hmm. Let's not be so afraid to, you know, uh, in Missouri, we don't have any sort of grading system on our schools. Uh, we have this accredited, not accredited. And up mm -hmm. until this last year, six unaccredited and 512 accredited. It was like a non-system, mm -hmm. like every mm -hmm. district was accredited. And um, <clears throat> they, I've heard anecdotally that if we were to say that a school is a failing school or a DNRF, uh, the teachers, the parents, the kids would all feel so badly and it mm -hmm. would just hurt their spirit. And I've also been told that it's racist and classist mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you're going to end up saying the kids where the schools where most of the kids are brown or black are yeah. the D's or F's and that's racist and it makes them just feel bad. But I say that those parents already know that their kids are in a failing school. Mm -hmm. So let's just be honest with ourselves and with them about it so that, you know, and in St. Louis, they actually put big banners on the school saying fully accredited, even though the schools aren't accredited. I mean, mm -hmm. they really want parents to believe to your point that things are fine because they don't think parents can handle the bad news. And I think parents can handle the bad mm -hmm. news and we should mm -hmm. arm them with the real story even if it's bad news. That's right. And, and look, we've got to find uh, people, institutions that they trust to deliver that news. I mean, obviously, we've had a collapse in trust in this country around many institutions. And so the messenger matters. I also would say, Susan, you know, we got to make sure that those of us in the policy wonk world make sure that those accountability systems are accurate in identifying which schools really are low performing. And, you know, if, if, uh, every school that's high poverty or high minority is getting identified as not very good, then that's an indication that it's not a very good accountability system. You know, we should be able to differentiate between high poverty schools that are excellent because yeah. they're really helping kids, you know, make up this learning loss, make progress year to year. And those that are not, that are, you know, where kids are going in the wrong, you know, backwards. Uh, and so, you know, if the if your accountability system though says there's not a single high poverty school that's an A or a B, you know, and I don't know if that's the case in Missouri, um, but you know, then then that's an that is an issue. I mean, we got to make sure that we're really we have some real high flying charter schools, and our charter schools are all high poverty because by definition yeah. they're only well, they're, right. So then they're showing so the, they're like showing those, that it can be done. There's others as well, but I know you're a believer in measuring growth. Is that right? Am I making this up? Absolutely. You're a no, growth no, that, guy. Right. You got to be a no. <laughs> so we look at the Stanford growth data, which I think is yeah. fascinating from um, CETA from Stanford. And mm -hmm. we've identified like uh, that quadrant um, mm -hmm. that starts with lower performers and ends up with higher performers because mm -hmm. they have higher than expected growth. When those are sort of the high flyers and we have our bench warmers that are like the kids they started with were ahead and then they ended up no longer right. ahead. So right. uh, I think that stuff's really important and we look at it a lot, but um, you know, I just think not being afraid to talk about it basically mm -hmm. is, is a first step. And that's why I loved your op-ed. And I really appreciate you coming on to explain this all to mm -hmm. us and help us understand and that you're out there with your tough love. I think we need more. So mm -hmm. I appreciate it, Mike. It's uh, great talking to you. Well, thanks so much again for the opportunity. Mm -hmm.